Thank you for listening to the Modesto Foursquare podcast. We hope that this message encourages and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. Please know that you can always join us every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, 510 Bernie Street in Modesto. You can also find more information on our website at ModestoFoursquare.com. Be saved. And what in the world do I need saving from? For those of us who would consider ourselves Christians, I think we sometimes forget what it's like to have those questions. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary has quite a few definitions of the word save, to rescue or deliver from danger or harm, like people who are saved from the wreckage of an accident, to preserve or guard from injury, destruction, or loss, to store data on a computer or a storage disk. Thank goodness for autosave, right? I lost my progress on so many papers as a teenager and college student that I am now in the habit of just pressing control S all the time. Um, And I don't have to anymore when autosave is on. So thank goodness for that. Can also mean to put aside as a store or reserve, like a savings account. Or last week when I had laryngitis and I tried, tried my best to save my voice. But, you know, I have a two-year-old and a five-year-old, so it's hard to save your voice when you have little ones. Um, but I tried to reserve it so that I, I could heal faster. Another definition is to make unnecessary. So this is like when your navigation app tells you, this route will save you 10 minutes, right? To maintain or preserve This is like saving some of those apricots and turning them into jam or preserves. But did you know that the very first definition of save in the Merriam-Webster dictionary is to deliver from sin? That's the number one definition of the word save. So again, what in the world does it mean to be saved and what do I need saving from? To be saved is to be delivered from sin, and sin is what we need saving from. We've been taking some time this month to reflect on the stories of Jesus' arrival on earth, and we have this theme of Emmanuel, God with us. In week one, Tyler walked us through a lot of prophecies and foretellings, and thank you for being a part of that, you who read that week. That was great. He walked us through some of those from the Old Testament of the Bible, and he talked about how Jesus fulfilled them. And then last week, we read from the Gospel of John, and we asked the question, who is this Emmanuel? Tyler talked about Jesus being present from the very beginning. He was Son of God and God himself, creator of the universe, light of the world, and Savior to all. He talked about Jesus coming because he loves us and also wants to extend grace to us. The next week on Christmas Eve, we'll look at the account from the Gospel of Luke and declare that Jesus is here because he is here, right? So today we are reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 1 and 2, and you can turn there now if you would like. We're going to start in Matthew 1, 18. 
And if you're reading the Bible from cover to cover, I just want to point out that this is the first account of Jesus' birth that we read. Um, so I want, to, I want us to keep that in mind, that if we were reading the Bible from cover to cover for the very first time, this would be our first introduction to who Jesus is outside of the prophecies that we read a few weeks ago. So we're going to read together now. Matthew 1, starting in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who is born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Verse 7, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. This is important because it's going to play in in just a little bit. Verse 8, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go to worship him too. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. We're going to stop reading there, but what follows this is Joseph being warned in another dream to leave Bethlehem and go to Egypt. Mary, Joseph, and Jesus stay there for some time. Simultaneously, King Herod, who asked when did the star appear, right? He is realizing that the Magi are not going to return to Jerusalem, right? They're not going to tell him where Jesus is, and he's furious. So what he does is he gives orders that all boys under the age of two years old in the area be killed, okay? So 
um, yeah, if, if Jesus hadn't gone to Egypt, he would have been part of that population of boys who were killed at this time. And so after Herod dies, Joseph has another dream, and the family returns to Israel. And so through these dreams and through Joseph's obedience, Jesus' life is preserved as a child. And several Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah are fulfilled in this, prof- in this process as well. And Matthew quotes those prophecies um, in chapter 2. So we come to this account of Christmas in the Gospel of Matthew today, and we see it primarily through the lens of Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, but not his biological father. So Joseph is engaged, really betrothed, to a woman named Mary, and before they're married, she's found to be pregnant, okay? Now, if this were you, and you know that there were no physical relations happening, what would you think? Joseph doesn't want to publicly disgrace Mary or have her beaten or stoned. Um, So he decides that he'll divorce her quietly. And the term divorce is used here. You'll also notice that the term husband is used in this passage It's used because engagement at this time and culture was a lot more serious than engagement is for us today. Um, It was binding. It was binding. You would have to break off the betrothal. It was a serious thing, like a divorce. But before Joseph can divorce her, God sends an angel in a dream, revealing to Joseph that this is not a natural pregnancy. Mary hasn't been unfaithful to him, She's been faithful to God and accepted this role of birthing the God of the universe, right? She's still a virgin, and the conception was by the Holy Spirit. I don't know how to explain all of that to you, but you can go do some research. And, and Joseph is given instructions to not have any fear of being with Mary and also He's given instructions on what to name this child. Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. That's kind of our key verse today. Name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus, Iesus in Greek, is the equivalent of Joshua or Yeshua in Hebrew. And that name means the Lord saves. It literally means the Lord saves. And so Joseph is told to name his son the Lord saves. What if instead of of saying Jesus every time we said the Lord saves, told me that the Lord saves. But this is only one of the names and titles that we read in Matthew today. Um, We started in verse 18 with the words, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, the anointed one, the one foretold to be the savior of Israel. And then we read in verse 23 that Jesus is called Emmanuel, which means God with us. In verse 2-2, the Magi call him king of the Jews, which understandably has the earthly king of Israel um, pretty nervous, right? That's why King Herod's freaking out What do you mean king of the Jews has been born? I'm the king. 
And then the scripture that's quoted in 2 verse 6 proclaims that Jesus will be a ruler and a shepherd to the people. So already in two chapters of Matthew, we see so many descriptions of who Jesus is. This is our introduction to Jesus in the Bible, all of these names for him. But today we're going to focus on on that title of Savior, coming back to those questions. What does it mean to be saved, and what do I need saving from? The short answer is found right there in that key verse, Matthew 1, 21. Jesus will save his people from their sins. Sin, that's what we need saving from. But what does sin mean? I think sometimes um, the world, hearing that word sin, can ask, what did I ever do? Why, why Why would you call me sinful? What did I do? And it's not really a happy or positive or even widely used word today. I don't think. Sometimes we've even trended away from using it in the church. It's easier to say mistake or something like that, right? It feels less harsh and safer to use the word mistake. But sin is the word that the Bible uses. Sin is defined in English dictionaries as an offense against the law of God or as a state of human nature where the self is estranged from God. Have you ever been estranged from somebody? From a family member or maybe an old friend? Something happened that divided you and you're not talking anymore. That's the condition of humankind. After Adam and Eve in Genesis, after the fall, we've been estranged from God separated from God. And humankind is separated from God without Jesus. So the Greek word here actually means missing the mark. So sin equals missing the mark. And hitting that mark would be being righteous or perfect. Are anybody perfect in here? It would mean doing everything according to God's will and way and keeping the commandments given in the Old Testament Bible. Impossible, right? Impossible. Because if you read the Old Testament, the Israelites tried it for thousands of years and just kept banging their heads against the wall, right? And don't we do the same? The Bible shows us how helpless we are when it comes to this and that our effort is ultimately futile. We cannot hit that mark on our own. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Psalm 51.5 says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. 1 John 1.8 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we ask ourselves, what did I even do? We're deceiving ourselves. No one of us in this whole room is without sin or fault. All of us are separated from God, estranged from him. And it's the big problem. Okay, it's the big problem. But gospel means good news 
and here is the good news, which many of us know, right? Jesus came to save. He came to hit the mark for all humanity. He hit the mark of perfection, of righteousness, of keeping the law. So I'm going to ask you again, is anybody in here perfect? Okay, everybody who would consider themselves a Christian, please raise your hand. Okay, Jesus was perfect so that we could be made whole. And because of his sacrifice, we're wiped clean. And so when God looks at us, he does see his perfect son. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. Now, it doesn't mean we're totally without sin and that we can just do whatever we want. But God sees his perfect son in us when we've received him. So, sin is the big problem and Jesus is an even bigger solution. And this sounds so elementary. Like, how many of you have heard this like a thousand times? We've heard it over and over again. But it's not. I'm asking us today to let it be fresh again. Last week, Tyler talked about Jesus being fully God and fully human. He said that Jesus is 200% being, right? Doesn't make sense to us. He's 100% human, 100% God. But it's true. Jesus, the creator of the whole entire universe, with God from the beginning, God himself became this fancy word we call incarnate. Incarnation. He took on flesh. He took on a body, carne, meat, and bones. Okay? Jesus came as a human baby and remained divine. And he came to save his people from their sins. We read that, Matthew 1, 21. But here's some even better news. And I'm going to frame this as a question. Who are his people? If Matthew 121 says he will come to save his people from their sins. Who are his people? The Gospel of Luke chapter 2 verse 10 says it this way. On the night of Christ's birth. But the angel said to them, the shepherds. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Who are Jesus' people? All people. Good news, great joy, all people. Do you think you're excluded from all people? Do you think anyone on planet Earth is excluded from all people? Jesus came as Savior of the world. He was born and would grow up without sin and would eventually die on a cross and rise again, forever being that perfect human sacrifice that could reconcile, bring us back together with God, tearing down the sin that separates us from God. And I could have stopped reading Matthew right after the account of the birth. We could have ended at the end of chapter 1. But I, I wanted to continue into chapter 2 and read that story of the Magi. They're traditionally called the wise men from the East. There may or may not have been three of them. There could have been a lot more than three. They just bring three gifts, okay? 
So in our brains, we three kings, we don't know. But they bring three gifts. And I wanted to read about them because the Magi were not Jews. They were not part of what would be considered God's chosen people of Israel. But they were scholars, and they knew what was said about the king of the Jews, that one would be born. And they traveled far to worship him and bring him gifts. But you know what? They were wrong. For all their scholarship, they were wrong about one thing, because Jesus wasn't king of the Jews alone. He wasn't just king of the Jews. He was king of them, too. King of Gentiles, king of all. And what I didn't read in Matthew was the section that comes before this, before chapter one, like in chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. I didn't read that because it seems to be a really boring genealogy, right? All of you, your favorite parts of the Bible are genealogies, right? Like you read First Chronicles every day. It's your daily plan. Yeah. Or all the sections in the Old Testament where it talks about what each tribe brought into the temple and it's all the same thing, like 27 silver bowls or whatever, but like it's repetition. Yeah, that's my favorite chapter of the Bible. It appears to be a boring genealogy, a list of Jesus' ancestors, but Matthew... So interestingly, Matthew includes four women in this list. Significant. Matthew being the one who's mostly writing for Jews. We think that Matthew's gospel was written toward the people of Israel versus Luke seems to be a little bit more Gentile inclusive, right? It's not Luke who includes the women in this genealogy, it's Matthew, and we have four women in there. Their names are Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. And if you look at their stories, anybody recognize the name Bathsheba? If you look at their stories in the Old Testament, all of these women are slightly problematic, okay? Slightly problematic backgrounds. And two of them, Rahab and Ruth, were Gentiles. We have Gentiles in Jesus' lineage. All people. Women, Gentiles, Magi, all people. So I wanted to read this section because Jesus, even at his birth, was drawing all people to himself. And I want to ask us, how is Jesus drawing you today? Because we're coming to a close this morning, and my my question for us is that. How is Jesus drawing you close today? How is he saving you today? Because this, this may seem like an elementary teaching, but maybe, maybe you're here this morning, and for the very first time, You're recognizing what sin is. Maybe those questions of what does it mean to be saved and what in the world do I need saving from, maybe those questions are being answered for you for the very first time today. Jesus is here. 
Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And he's with us now, offering salvation, a way to be reunited with God where you were once separated or estranged. He's offering a way to new life where the things of the past, the ways that we harm each other, right? We harm others a lot in our sin. And we harm ourselves. Jesus is offering a way for that to be forgiven. And not only that, we are empowered to change, being transformed more and more to look like Jesus in our actions, in our thoughts, in our character, reborn to a new life. And after Jesus' death and resurrection, his disciples, those people who followed him and walked with him, they continued to share the message of his love and salvation And there's a story in the book of Acts, chapter 16, where a man asks these disciples, what must I do to be saved? And maybe you're asking yourself the same question, or maybe you have people in your life who don't know Jesus, and they're asking this question, what do I need to do to be saved? What does that even mean? And the disciples' answer to him was, believe in the Lord Jesus. Romans 10.9 says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10.9. I'll read that one again. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Belief and confession lead us to being raised from our sin and ultimate death. But maybe you're here this morning and you've already been saved. Did you know that the Bible talks about salvation as a continuous process? We are being saved. That's the verb tense for salvation. We are being saved. So again, I'm asking, how is Jesus saving you today? If saving means to maintain or preserve, how is Jesus preserving you today? If saving means rescuing from danger or harm, how is Jesus your rescuer today? If saving can mean setting, it a, setting aside and storing, what treasures or blessings has Jesus stored up for you and given you today. If saving means something becomes unnecessary, like saving that time on your drive somewhere, how has Jesus prevented you from something that was not for your best? How has he kept you? And ultimately, if saving is being delivered from sin... And sin is that state of being estranged and separated from God. How are you in communion with God today? How are you united with God today? God's with us, but we sometimes, maybe not sometimes, all the time, hold on to a lot of ideas or items or habits that are still separating us a little bit, right? What can we surrender today that will break down our own walls, our walls that we build up, where Jesus has torn down the walls of sin 
and we just fill them up a little bit more to continue doing what we want to do? What can we surrender today to be reminded of that newness that we have in Jesus? How can we be reborn anew? How can we be reborn again today? How can we be continually saved? How are we being saved? So that was a lot of questions that I asked. And at this point, I just want to pray for us. I want us to think about this week, and as we prepare for Christmas, I want us to think about Jesus being Savior, and not just Savior to you and me, Savior to all. And that being saved is not a one-time deal. It's something that is continuous, that Jesus does in us. So with all of these questions, I'm going to pray for us. Um, And yeah, I might interject a tiny bit in the prayer. So don't be worried if I start to talk again a little bit (laughs) as we pray. Lord Jesus, We thank you for your presence that is here and now. We thank you that you are Emmanuel, that you are God with us. We thank you that you are Messiah and Christ, the one who was anointed to save us. We thank you for your presence from the very beginning of time. We thank you for your incarnation, that you became meat and bones and muscle while still being God. We thank you that you came to earth and we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. We thank you for Easter morning when you rose again and offered us new life. If there's anybody in the room who's never believed and confessed, like that verse from Romans, that Jesus is Lord and that he rose from the dead, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now for the very first time. And I'm going to open my eyes and look out. And so if this is you and you want to make that commitment, you want to invite Jesus to be part of your life, you can just raise your hand right now and I will pray. We'll pray together. I'm going to pause here. If there's anybody, I see you. Just pray this in your heart. And if this is not your first time and you want to pray this in your heart as well, please do. Jesus, we thank you that you came for all people. We thank you that none of us is excluded. We thank you that you came and lived without sin so that our sins would be forgiven through your death and your resurrection. We confess that you are Lord and we believe that you rose from the dead. We acknowledge that you are Lord and King of our lives. And we invite you in to work in us and change us. May we look more like you every day. For those of us who are already saved, I want to pray something for us as well. Lord, we've already received you. We've already believed in you. But we know that sin can still easily entangle us. We know that we're forgiven, but we also want to be continually transformed 
into your likeness. We want to recognize your saving grace and protection every day. We want that message of your love to be alive in us. Bring us back to you as our first love. We thank you that not only were you God with us as a baby or as a human walking the earth, you are God with us now by the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you are with us at all times and in all spaces. Thank you, Lord, for good news that brings great joy to all people. Amen. All right, we are going to meet again next Sunday on Christmas Eve. Invite your friends, invite your family, um, and come celebrate the coming of Jesus next week. Um, If this was your first time um, opening your heart to Jesus and you'd like to come talk with me, you're more than welcome to do that. We can also get you a Bible. So have a blessed day, everybody. Thanks again for listening to Modesto Foursquare Podcast. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged in your walk with the Lord. As you listen to our Sunday morning message, please feel free to visit us any Sunday morning, 10 o'clock, 510 Bernie Street, Modesto, California. You can also find more information on our website at modestofoursquare.com. Have a blessed day.